Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Awesome. We're just getting to celebrate all sorts of miracles, and now you're about to see another one. About to see me preach in like 12 minutes. Oh, that would happen. We need lots of prayer. So uh, thank y'all for for <clears throat> just being a giving church and allowing us to be a part of what is happening, not just in our community, um, but all over the all over the planet. And so thank y'all for uh, reaching out. They could have been in a lot of different churches, and, and Marcus uh, reached out to me early on and wanted to come and, and to share with you guys. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into uh, the next part. Um, today we've got a, a, a big concept that we just need to embrace. This is something in Playing in the Rain. That's the series we've been in, um, and we're in the, the fifth week of this. And this is a piece that most of us just don't like. So we're just going to go ahead. We're not going to, to, to kind of cat around on this thing. But let's just go ahead, and, and we have looked at this concept over and over again, that letting Jesus be Lord in our lives is the most liberating thing that we can do. And allowing God to do that, allowing God to genuinely take the reins and and genuinely have the wheel in our lives and to begin to guide us and lead us and be Lord really is liberating. It really does begin to lead us into deeper places of freedom. And we've looked at this passage of Scripture, that 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. That we're being transformed. That means there's part of us that's shifting. We're we're, we're changing and we're being changed into his image. So that means there are pieces of us that don't quite align with the goodness and the the greatness of God, the way we were designed to be built. Remember, we were created in the image of God. And so as we allow God to transform us, then that means there's going to be some parts of us that shift. And a word we don't like that is to embrace that means to be corrected. Nobody likes to be corrected. But one of the things we have to, to do to really begin our transformation process is to give God permission to correct us, to show us where we're not thinking right, to show us where we're not acting right, to show us maybe we're, we're, doing, we're on the right track and we don't realize it, and God coaching us and encouraging us, but we have to be open to the correction of the Holy Spirit. Of course, we just all were, hopefully y'all were joining with us and praying for our, our fellow Texans down on the coast as the hurricane hit. And apparently August is, is hurricane time. And uh, last year, early August, my family, we went on a cruise and there was a hurricane out in the Gulf and they had to uh, divert us from and the, the, a bunch of the ships. There were ships that ended up where we ported that weren't supposed to be there because the hurricane was coming. There was one of the excursions we wanted to do we didn't get to do because they were battening down the hatches because the hurricane was coming. Well, we get out there in the seas, and we're a long ways away from it, but, man, the, the boat's rocking. 
And so as we're, you know, going along, trying to go to dinner, then we're, you know, doing this number to, you know, on the boat. Well, you do that for a couple of days and pretty soon, all of a sudden, because the environment you're living in, you're, you're making all of these little micro corrections all the time. And so because you just didn't know which direction things were going to go. And you're just constantly. And then the problem was, is we got off the boat and got onto solid ground. All of a sudden were things where there was a firm foundation, but we were still doing this. So we're sitting there, we get out of the suburban and we look like a bunch of drunk people. Uh, what's the matter with those? I know a couple of them too young to be drunk. And that one just got out from behind the wheel. We need to call the cops on that guy. And, um, but we're just doing all this because our bodies were used to it. There was nothing wrong. We we're on firm foundation, but we were so used to being in a broken, tumultuous, never know which way it's going to go world that we just, just kind of were making uh, little adjustments all the time and, and just never felt solid. When we become alive in Christ, we are brought into a firm foundation in God. But we have a world that's all jacked up and messed up. And sometimes when we try to bring our systems that, that kind of got us through life in the world, where it was a dog-eat-dog -dog world, where it was pretty much a cheat them before they cheat you kind of world, which it was, you know, you know keep your defenses up because somebody's going to take advantage of you kind of world. And then you know what? Those things will kind of maybe protect you a little bit in the world. But when we get engrafted into a new place where we're now alive in Christ and our system of life is supposed to shift, where we're supposed to think better of people than maybe we initially do. We're supposed to round up on people. We're supposed to forgive before they even ask for forgiveness. We're supposed to operate in love. And the old system feels weird in the new system. So as we are growing... We have to let God correct us. He'll tell us, don't have your defenses up so much. Don't be doing that. Don't lash out at people before they, before they mistreat you. Don't be responding that way. And he's going to teach us how to live in this new realm of love and grace because he is our firm foundation. We don't have to totally try to be our own. He is our firm foundation. And so we have to let him correct us as we move forward. Because see, the truth is, is God loves us enough to correct us. And letting God lead us means letting Him correct us. We've subtitled this one, Dancing in the Rain. And the only dancing that I like to do is two-stepping with my wife. And so if I try to break out in some dances at the house, the kids are like, Dad, stop it. Please, don't do that. I don't have any skills. But I do like to be able to go to do some weddings and they bust out the band and put on a little bit of country music. This is the only reason country music needs to exist so you can two-step. So um, I'm not a country fan. Sorry, country fans. And so, um, but anyways, but I enjoy some nice, basic two-step with my wife. And the problem is, is I'm, she's a better dancer than me. And... So she has to tell me, all right, Brand, lead. Well, if I'm going to lead, if I'm going to dance with her, then she has to submit to the directions. And every once in a while, she'll say, okay, which way are we going? And I'm like, I don't know. Let's start over. All right. 
all right, I got it. Now I can lead. Let's go. And it, it's sad. That's why I like crowded dance floors because people can't see you. And, um, but anyway, she'll, she'll, but she is trying to submit and allow my direction to determine her direction. Well, praise God. God is the one who's leading and more talented. God's the one is that, and if we're going to dance in the rain with him, then we have to, we have to let him lead. We have to let him make those little corrections and then we go with him. Otherwise, it's going to turn into a wrestling match. If you got two people on the dance floor trying to, and both of them want to lead, it's a fight. It is not a dance. And so in this dancing in the rain, we have to let him lead. And that's all correction is, is letting God lead. Hebrews 6, 12, 6 says, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. See, one of the things is, is if you were not raised in a, in a healthy household, because there are, sadly there are a lot of households that the only time correction was given was when the parent or the authority was annoyed. And so now they're angry, they're annoyed, they're frustrated, and then they bring the correction. Stop it, you're driving me up the wall. Quit that, da, 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 da. And correction was never about your good. Correction was always about the fact that they were irritated. And when we are raised in an environment where correction is also associated with rejection, then we have a hard time seeing that it is an expression of love. But with God, correction is not about rejection. And it is not about the fact that you've all of a sudden annoyed him. God is, the Holy Spirit isn't tapping your shoulder and, and telling you to change directions with your life because you've annoyed him. It's because he loves you. It's because he's for you. And it's because he's leading you into life. And if we don't understand how to embrace correction properly, then we will find ourselves stubbornly resisting and bringing more trouble and difficulty into our lives than we should. We have to be willing to do it. Writer of Hebrews goes on in verse 11 and says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. We are so good at figuring out when we just got in trouble. We even have people who are really good at like sugarcoating it and saying, you know, I, we need to have a talk. Man, you're wonderful. I just appreciate you so much. You're doing such a great job. All that, and then they go, but you know what? We need, I, I need you to make this adjustment. <sighs> I can't believe you would do that. Get all flustered and we can sniff out the correction. No matter how someone tries to do it, we obviously hate it when somebody just goes all drill instructor on us and it just rips into us. We bow up against that for sure, but we don't like any correction. We don't like the sweetest correction, and we don't like the harshest correction. We don't like any kind of correction. But the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, after recognizing how much we hate correction, that later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. God corrects you because he wants to bring about this area of rightness, of righteousness. Jesus is the righteousness of God. He's bringing about more and more the image of who he is. That's how why he corrects us, and that's why he does, and it brings peace 
into our lives. See, how we respond to correction determines how quickly we can transform. The writer of Proverbs um, had a lot to say about this. And Proverbs 15 says, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise, and those who disregard discipline despise themselves. So many times it feels like we're despising the person who's giving us the discipline. Well, they're a jerk. Well, the scriptures say if you're not listening to life-giving, you're not despising the person who's bringing the discipline. You're despising yourself. You're hurting yourself in this thing. But the one who heeds correction gains understanding. And we're about to, to use an S word that's not allowed. You're not allowed to, normally in most households, you're not allowed to do this, especially little kids. They're not allowed to use this S word across the hall over there. But the Bible uses the S word. See, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Whoever loves discipline no, loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. It's pretty blunt. Who hates correction? It's just stupid. Don't do that. That's foolish. Not that we go around looking for it everywhere, but when God wants to bring correction into our life, we need to be willing to embrace it. And I want us to quickly look at this, how the scripture shows us as we begin to study the totality of it, that how to be able to respond to correction. Because I would think that um, if we, we know our scripture, that there's a, there's a guy named Peter who was kind of the number one of the disciples. And Peter's the guy that Jesus that declares that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And that Jesus then responds and says, Blessed are you. You're blessed. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. He gets the big attaboy from Jesus. Now, he's also the one a few verses later that gets told, get behind me, Satan. Um, and so he kind of goes all over the place. Uh, but he's also the one who said in that moment is told that the gates of hell, that, that he's going to be given. That the, ah, I'm stumbling all over myself because I'm trying to rush. That, that declaration, that understanding that God is going to build his church upon that rock, upon the understanding of who Jesus is. And the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. Peter's the one who, when the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2, that he's the one that boldly steps up and 3,000 people come to Christ. He, Peter is on the forefront of all these different things. And then here comes this Johnny-come-lately Paul guy who was actually a little bit of a terrorist to the Christians. He attacked them. He threw them in jail. He stood by while the first Christian martyr was stoned. Paul was a, a jerk and late to this thing. And then Paul has this revelation. And Paul writes a, the bulk of the New Testament. So here's Peter, who's first on the scene in this stuff, who's esteemed among the brethren. But Peter messes up. And Paul has to call him on it, bring some correction. Let's look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. This James, Cephas, which also is known as Peter, and John, and those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. 
they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised or the, the, the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, which is a non-Jewish town, he says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, who James was at the head of the church there in Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group that were Jewish believers. The other Jews joined him in their hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And so here is Paul dealing with Peter and, and Peter kind of lets the pressures of life and what other people think of him determine what he's going to do. And he, he acts the hypocrite that Paul writes to the Galatians in his letter. So not only does Paul deal with him to his face in front of everybody and calls him out on it, but then Paul writes about it in a letter. And like tells a whole, Galatia is not a town, it's a region. This letter was to be shared in an entire region. It's like saying, share this letter in Texas. Galatia was an area. And so, man, so, so Peter gets, he was in the wrong. Paul calls him out on it, deals with it, and then writes the story in a letter. And then we get to read Peter's writings. Peter writes a couple of letters of his own. Paul, you can write some letters. I can write some letters too, buddy. That's not the way Peter handled it, thankfully. That is not the way. That's the way we'd have handled it. Come on now. I can write my own letter, Paul. Another side to this story. Nope, that's not the way it was handled. There in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. That our dear brother Paul refers to him still as dear brother with wisdom directly from God. He writes the same way in all his letters. I guarantee you, if there was one letter that Peter knew about, it was the letter to the Galatians. The letter that Peter's talked about, I guarantee you, somebody through the grapevine said, Oh, Peter, you know what Paul wrote to the Galatians? You're going to need to get somebody to email you that. Send you a copy. He called you out. If there was one letter, he says talked about all his letters. If there was one letter that Peter knew that Paul read, I guarantee it was the Galatian letter. He says that he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them these matters. His letters contain some of the things that are hard to understand which ignorant and unstable people distort. And here comes the most amazing statement that Peter can make, that his heart was completely open to the correction. It says, which <clears throat> ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Not only 
did Peter respond well to Paul's correction. Not only did he call him dear brother, not only did he talk about the, that Paul was able to, to operate in wisdom, but here he equates the letters Paul writes with the other scriptures. This is a Jewish man who is recognizing these letters written to Gentile people on the same plane as the stuff Moses wrote. This is huge. This is huge. Folks, I, it doesn't all flow together and you have, to, you have to read the part in Galatians and then read your whole Bible and get to the, the part in Peter and remember kind of what was there. But I love it that the scriptures show us this beautiful example that the, the early guys didn't do it right. Peter didn't do it right before Jesus died and was buried. He didn't do it right after Jesus was died and was buried. He didn't do it right after the Holy Spirit was poured out and he operated in these things. He was still messing up and still needed correction. And what set Peter and Paul and these guys apart was the fact that they responded well to correction. That it drew them in deeper. It didn't build resentment and hurt feelings and all this stuff. It drew them in deeper, which is what the correction of the Holy Spirit wants for us, is to draw us in deeper. See, God gives guidance and correction to bring more life into our lives. So we're wrapping up here, John 10, 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy, but I've come that we have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And the psalmist writes, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, and surely I have a delightful inheritance. I pray that the more you grow in this concept of playing in the rain, that the boundary lines that God has for you will have truly fallen in pleasant places. That you'll recognize the depth and the love of God and that when he brings boundaries into our life, it's to bless us and to be good for our lives. We go back to Galatians chapter two where we, we kind of began this journey that, that Paul had written and kind of called Peter out. But we see Paul recognizes this own principle for himself. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I'm not fighting for my rights anymore. I'm not fighting for, to validate myself. I just want Christ to show through me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for the righteousness could not be gained through the law. <clears throat> if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. As, I, as he sits there and Paul allowed himself to be correctable and to be teachable in the Holy Spirit, to not fight for himself and his identity, but let Christ shine through. He didn't walk away from the grace of God. He poured himself more deeply into the grace of God. We don't start this thing with this beautiful, clean slate, and now it's our responsibility to keep it clean thereafter. This is this beautiful thing that God's at work in our life from the very beginning. And he's at work in our life as we move forward. And that's why we need correction. We're corrected because we're loved and embraced as a child of God. So I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today. Please, please just be open to the correction of the Holy Spirit. See, God's correction 
is God's love bringing more life into us. That's what God's correction is. Just be open to the Holy Spirit guiding you and leading you. I want to create a quiet moment here. Maybe you've been on the outside of this relationship with God thing and you've been so fearful that somehow that, that God would, if you really went forward with God, that he was going to be this, this dominating, mean, difficult force in your life. You had this recognition that there were probably some things that would change. There are probably some things that are going to shift if you go full in with God and and you just didn't know if you wanted to deal with that. And hopefully this morning you recognize that saying yes to God this morning isn't some great commitment on your end of all these amazing things that you're going to do for Him. But it's this big openness to all the amazing things that He wants to do in you. And I want to encourage you. Just, just open your heart to him. He loves you. Yeah, some things will change, but it'll be good. It'll be good. So if you're here this morning and, and you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to embrace the life that he alone gives and, and choose to let him be Lord this morning, if, if that's you, I want you to just lift your hand up and we want to pray with you. Awesome. Yes, 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 yes. Praise God, yes. Believers, I want you to just lift your voice with these. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. That you love me so much. That you were in Christ. Reconciling us. Today I'm right with you. Not because of what I've done. Because of what you've done. I give you permission. To have my life. You can change me from the inside out. I trust you. And I thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Yes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.